Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 17 of the Burden As you can see, be this week of internet problems. We hope we we hope we'll be back next week. Uh, but we are still joined by Mona Mark, and we've just had week one of NFL football. We're we, we're back, back, aren't we? You know, and uh, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, but. I've got to get some off my chest straight away. Uh, Bones is going to play a VR, and it's just going to—it's just—it's going to explain everything. Go for it, Bones. Touch. Whilst Jordy's obviously active in the chat, I just wanted to make sure. Um, he quite, quite a while ago we um, we did our fantasy draft, and um, pretty sure he put a prediction in the group somewhere. Unfortunately, I can't find it. Otherwise, I would have already been on this. Um, but Jordy and I played each other week one, and um, he was very confident about beating me based on projected stats. Um, the little analytical loser. Um, just to be clear, um, Patrick Queen is not going to get 20 points tonight, so I'll take that week one victory. Thank you very much. So, yeah, that, I think that explains it all. You know, that's, um, that's, that's Tom from the... Uh, from the original um, podcast, Fred and Short, but we'll leave it as that. I think that explained everything that we had to say. Just, just don't open your big mouth if, if you don't know what you're on about. I think that explains it all. So anyway, let's get into this week's podcast. Obviously, it's been week one. We've seen everyone play oh, last last weekend, last Thursday, last Thursday night football. Obviously, the Bucks and uh, Cowboys kicked us off, and obviously, we finished off with uh, Mark's Raiders at home to to the Ravens. And I think we're just gonna. Go for, we, each week, I think um, we're going to just going to do our stock up and stock down. So we're going to pick out some things where you don't have to. It can be teams, it can be players, it can be coaches. You know, it can be any anything that we think is uh, that's trending upwards. You know, you know, in the NFL, and obviously we'll pick some that are trending downwards. You know, um, and they'll be different each week, and sometimes it'll probably be the same. But we'll start with um, stock up. I, I know Bones is going to put up a, a graphic of the, our stock up, but we all we all bumped heads and decided on these and these four and um the first one we're going to kick off for at the top we've got the arizona Cardinals there it's cliff kingsbury van joseph and arizona cardinals going into tennessee and actually just just battering them really you know the um they absolutely destroyed them i know mark watched this game so i'm going to go to mark mark first he's going to talk, yeah, us, through, talk us through this one yeah, it, it's interesting how this game was won and lost because, as you know, I, I, I quite fancy Tennessee to the point where I was putting money on them as an outside Super Bowl contender. And let's get this right, OK? It's week one. You know, let's not overreact and let's not underreact. But let's look at what we saw and ask some questions. Now, Todd Downing is the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. Um and I totally forgot that. And I remember Todd Downing from his time at the Raiders and later on with the Broncos and forgot to, to bank on that. So, But what Arizona did to them was just absolutely destroy them on every single level. I mean, obviously, Chandler Jones is going to be getting the headlines. You know, he finished off with five sacks. And, you know, that's even more amazing, Jordan and Bones, when you think that he was up against pro Bowl left tackle, Taylor Lewan. He wasn't up against some sort of dud. He was up against a, a pro bowl, all pro left tackle, you know, second team all pro left tackle. And he just dominated him. He was in the backfield. He was blown up runs. He got five sacks. I think he's a little bit angry because he didn't get paid off seasons. 
I've heard that he's putting a, a transfer request. He's wanting to go on the transfer block because he feels that he's worth more money. And on that performance, you know, like those five sacks and four or five tackles for loss as well, in addition to them, I think he's got, I think he's staking a good, a good case. It was just such a good balanced game by both Cliff Kingsbury and his defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph. So it was hard to see stock up for one or the other. I think this was really a joint effort because when I look at their defensive stats, when I look at what Vance Joseph did on the defensive side of the ball, their secondary held Julio Jones and A.J. Brown under 80 yards receiving. Bear in mind, okay, they've got a rookie starting in one corner position because Malcolm Butler retired, and they've got Byron Murphy on the other starting corner position. You'll be familiar with him, Jordan, from from his time in Washington. But he hasn't impressed in the NFL to date. You know, so like I honestly thought Julio and AJ Brown are gonna eat. They're gonna go for over hundred yards each. Tight the Tennessee are gonna blow them away. No, didn't happen. Julio and Brown were held under 80 yards throughout that game. Um Derek Henry, out of his first 10 rushing attempts, was held in nine yards on his first 10 rushing attempts. He finished with 17 rushing attempts for 58 yards. So, I mean, they were able to hold Derek Henry in check. And, of course, once they've built up a lead, that nullifies the run game anyway for Tennessee because now they're chasing it. Um, Yeah, it was just such a good performance. There were so many players I could pick out other than Chandler Jones. But I think I was impressive. Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons, your guy, Bones, he got an interception. He was everywhere on the ball. And it was really like a, like a, they've got so many players on that defense now who are like Swiss Army players. I think of Gigi and Water was lining up at edge and at defensive tackle. I'm thinking of Collins and Buddha Baker who were dropping down and moving around all over the place. Isaiah Simmons is versatile. You know, it was it was a it was a real special defensive performance that Vance Joseph had set out. Before I go on the, to the offense and their offensive performance. You know, watch, did you just get to watch that game and did you get to see, obviously, we've all heard what Chandler Jones do, did, but he was having an opportunity to see what else they did in that game. Yeah, I actually I actually did watch a bit of the game and I think, obviously, we, we all heard about Chandler Jones and his five sacks. I think what went underappreciated in that game is how much J.J. Watt enabled Chandler Jones in this game in a way. Like, when you've got J.J. Watt stood opposite you on the defensive line... You, you've got a, you've got that partnership. We all we said we've said it before in previous podcasts about players that don't necessarily rack up those stats. Like they still pres- they still provide so much on the defensive line because they take up people's attention and allow that Chandler Jones in this instance to go off and get five sacks in a single game. Like yeah, the the, the defense for for the Cardinals I think was on point in this game. I can't. You kind of took the words out of my mouth. Like Isaiah Simmons had, had a great game. Again, Buda Baker, another star player for that defense. I think it's just a really sound defense in that situation. And it, it showed against the Titans. I've said it before about them in the playoffs. Shut down that run game and the Titans fall apart. Derek Henry shut down to nine yards. Titans well and truly fell apart. Like, But yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah, I managed to catch the the highlights on this game. You know, I did, you know the the basic highlights, and and they look good. You know, Arizona. You know, like Rondell Moore got got a bit of action in there. He had a good game, but I've seen this from Arizona. You know, especially last year, they started off 
like hot, hotter than most teams, you know, like in the NFL, you know, last year, and it was the consistency and how they drifted off at the end. Mark, I know you're going to touch on the offense next, but did you see anything different this time with, with Cliff Kingsbury and you know Kyler Murray compared to last year? Is it is it is it clicking more? Do you know what? Is? There was a, there was points there where I was still concerned. You know, there was still far too many penalties on offense. There was still far too many false starts. They were putting themselves in good positions, and then there was penalty after penalty, and they were pushing themselves out of positions. You know, like in they've got to get that cadence right on that snap count. Obviously, when they're playing this air raid, Kyle's set about five yards back from the offensive line. He's not under setter. He's not under center. So he's using a clap. He's using a cadence like we see in college football. You know, where he's almost like. You know, and clapping his hands and getting it. In it. And you can see that the offensive line isn't, you know, like was moving at the wrong point and, and not reading the cadence of his voice, you know, because his job is is to try and get the defence to jump. But unfortunately, he's getting his own offensive line to jump. So that needs to be worked out with. I mean, there is concern there. But, you know, we've talked about this area offence, waiting for it to come to the NFL. And we're expected... Cliff Kingsbury to bring it across from college in the NFL. And the truth of the matter is, Jordan, is we hadn't seen it. This was an air raid offense out of the sort. He was lining up with four wide receivers on the field. He's got Chase Edmonds in the backfield, who's basically another catch specialist back. You've got five of these players on the back. Barely ever had a tight end on the field. Kyler Murray was absolutely phenomenal this game. You know, like doing things out that make you go, wow. You know, wow, there's only one or two players in the NFL. I would argue there's only Mahomes who can do what Kyler Murray was doing this weekend. You know, he was 21 of 32, 289 yards, four touchdowns. He scrambled for another touchdown. There was a play where he was about 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage, running for his life and turning and twisting. And then he just let a dart off. You know what I mean? And he was just, it was just, it was just really good to see, you know, like I'm going to bring up some of the wide receiver stats, you know, from this air raid. And you can see how much he spread this ball around rather than just focusing on Hopkins, which is what we saw a lot of last year. One deal more had four catches for 68. Green came down with two catches. Christian Kirk was five for 70 with two TDs. Devonta Hopkins himself had two TDs, 83 yards. You know, the ball was being spread around, and that's promising. That's promising. Because too often last year, teams just doubled and trebled and and put coverage, world coverage over to Hopkins, and they didn't have anything else. It seems as though this playbook is fully open now, you know? Yeah. Um, one one thing that, like, um, that sticks in my mind over, you know, in Kingsbury at the Cardinals is he's got to do this against three top NFC West teams. He plays them both twice, you know, and it's it's good, obviously, he can, he, they can get the wins outside. They beat the Seahawks early last year, but then they came, and which they probably shouldn't have, have won, really. Like, that's not me being biased. They were, they were lucky to win it. it, it Bones, it's going to come down to these big games in the NFC West, and as Cliff Kingsbury, obviously a good start at the weekend, is he going to have that mind power, you know, like scheme power to, to beat, like, your... Your, um, your Shanahan's and your Carroll's and your your, your McVeigh's. I think I think it's a really good question. I think the NFC West. I'm, I've heard it before. You know, this this division is going to cannibalise itself this year. They've all gone 
undefeated week one. They're all tied for first place in the division right now. Um, everybody in the West had a had a pretty good game. So, I mean, the Cardinals might keep it up, but they've got some, you know, there's, there's some good offenses and good defenses in the NFC West. Like, that division is a seriously hot division and a hardly, like, a, a hotly contested division. So... I think they're really going to struggle against some of these new teams. Uh, these new teams, these other teams. Some of the stu- some of the changes we've seen in the off season have resulted in some interesting stuff in the NFC West. I'm looking forward to seeing them try and keep this up. I suppose because, like Mark said, some of the stuff we saw this week looked really, really, really good. But as you also mentioned, we've seen it before, and the NFC West is a really hard division, like a really hard division. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how the Cardinals if they can um keep up this um this play, you know, like we like we said last year. Last year's a different year, you know, it's it's a new year, so hopefully they can they can consistent and that's what's gonna be key to them getting into the playoffs this year. We're gonna move on, we're gonna go downwards from the Cardinals, obviously. We're gonna come back to Mark again because obviously He's a Raiders fan, and um, it were, it, what a game to, to finish off week one! It were a fantastic game. You know, it went went to overtime, and I'll, I'll let Mark do the talking. So obviously, he's a Raiders fan. He's got a lot to say about Derek Carr, Max Crosby, and and, um, and the and the Raiders. Yeah, I mean, we're going to try to not be homers and just talk about our franchises. But how can you not talk about this game? I mean, week one was just a bizarre, beautiful. Absolutely crazy bonkers week. But God, you know, like the circus was in town on Monday Night Football to close it off. And we've probably seen game of the season already. You know, it was such an entertaining spectacle. It was beautifully imperfect, is what I would say if the Raiders were describing like their performance. You know, at least on the offensive side of the ball. A lot was made out of the Raiders not starting any of their starters in preseason. None of them played a snap, especially not on offense. And I think they suffered for that at the start of the of, of the actual game itself. Carr was gippy. He was throwing passes, overthrowing passes. Our offensive line wasn't wasn't doing really well. Leatherwood struggled on his debut. Good went off injured. Andre James had a bad snap within about the first two or three plays. You know, like, and it was like, oh, God, it's going to be one of those seasons again. But somehow, the Raiders stayed in this game. And it actually, for once, wasn't the offence carrying the Raiders. It was the defence carrying the Raiders. You know, and if anybody knows, it's been a long time since the Raiders have produced a defence which was worth any note. But Gus Bradley called an absolutely brilliant game on defence. You know, he was getting home with four, which is huge when you're playing a quarterback back like Lamar Jackson. Because if you can get home with four, it means that your linebackers are there to contain. And boy, did he get home. You know, Yannick and Gokwe was marvellous. Max Crosby was absolutely putting Villanueva, who was a pro ball tackle, albeit in 2019, in an absolute blender. He was beating them at will. He was using a variety of rush techniques. He's developed a spin with his armory. He was doing the whole ghost tag, you know, like where you look as if you're going to put your hands on the chest of the tackle. But what you do is you it's kind of like a ghost punch. And what you do is you dip as you go under him. He's, he's, he just looked so motivated. Much has been made of his recovery along with Waller. 
I'll tell you what, every single Vera wants to start going to these meetings because these two are our best two players. You know, defensive-wise, Haywood was absolutely marvellous at corner. Um, you know, like, and it just, Hobbs came in and had an impact in the nickel. Um, you know, like, it, and it was just, it was just a really good defensive, which is an odd thing to say, but it was a really good defensive performance that held us in the game until Carr could find some rhythm. I'll give you an interesting start, and I'll let you come back on the Raiders' defence before I go into Carr's performance. But during the whole game, Gus Bradley is not known for blitzing. He only called up two blitz packages on the whole game. They resulted in two sacks and a forced fumble. Two blitz packages. There was only one time he sent more than the front four. He sent a slot blitz with Hobbs on the blitz. And he said what he said the one later on as well, which was a strip fumble for which we which we got back in the overtime and we scored a touchdown off, which Paul Nassim got. And he sent a, he sent a couple of linebackers in it, but it was just he sent two blitzes all game. Both of them got home, two sacks and a forced fumble. It is massive for the Raiders if we can get pressure like we did with four. You don't have to tell me about Gus Bradley. He, he was brilliant in, in Seattle, you know, and um, it don't surprise me with, with, with what you said there. It's a, it's it's a it's one of the best things you can do is if you can get pressure or not even getting home, just getting pressure with limited people on the front. You know, it, it gives you so many people to cover at, at the back. You know, like uh, Seahawks have been struggling for years, and we'll, we'll get onto them in, in a bit. I won't, I won't go I won't get to go too much into them yet. But Bones, I know you watched the game. Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to watch the game, which I'm gutted about. I've only watched the, the overtime. But Bones, what, what, did you see anything on the defense or anything like that that you that you liked? Yeah, I think I think it, if you're a Raiders fan, I think there's one thing that everyone must love about Max Crosby, and it's that that guy doesn't give up until the play is dead. Like once the until the play is dead, he's a hundred percent the whole way. You see some players that you know they know the play is not coming their way or. Maybe they think they've been beat, so they just sort of give up, and he just does not give up. There were times he's chasing Lamar Jackson across the damn field, and it's just, you want to see that, don't you, as a fan of the team? And he, he just, that's what I noticed in the game, was the defensive lines, on on both sides, I suppose, a little bit, the defensive lines seem to just be all over everybody, just playing phenomenally well. I think, I think like Mark said, that you could tell in the first half that there was some of those first half jitters still. There was some of those, um, there was overthrown passes. There were passes where you, the one to, that springs to mind is the over Ruggs' head to J Jacobs behind him and Ruggs jumps up and you're not sure who that passes to. It still got completed, but it looked a bit odd. Um, but then second half, you saw it all come back together. And I think... It's like Mark said, they didn't play any of the starters in the preseason. I think there was a week one jitters element to it. I think once everyone remembered that they do actually know how to play football in the second half, they just came back and had a fantastic game. I think to be devil's advocate on this, I think if you're a, if you were a Ravens fan, I don't think it's all bad. I think the fumbles are going to mar most Ravens' memories of this game, but I think there was enough in there to like about the Ravens as well. I think it was a really good and really competitive game and that's what made it fantastic to watch. I know, um, Mark, it's your Raiders, Mark. You obviously, you want to touch on Derek Carr a, a little bit more in that game. Yeah. So, before I go on to that, just one more quick point on the Raiders' defence. Because we were able to get home with four, we were able to contain Lamar Jackson, which is so important. 
The Ravens were three for twelve on third down. That's the importance of getting home before three for twelve on third down. They were able to contain him. They were able to contain him as a result of getting home with four. Now, on the flip side, the Ravens couldn't get home with four all fucking day against the Raiders. They were having to send four, five, six. They were having to blitz more, bearing in mind the player three, four. So they weren't able to get home. They were having to have max out blitzes. And were like once, once the Raiders in the second half made adjustments and went to max protection. And they were keeping a tight end in the block. And they were keeping a running back like Drake. He came in more. We saw more of him blocking. Very good pass blocker, Drake, by the way. He had a really good block for that for that touchdown at the end. I don't know, I don't think many people would have recognised it, but he had a really good block on that on that touchdown for the end. You know, we were able we were able to max protect and they weren't able to get home. So they were like um uh, Winky was just like sending six and seven because he was having to because he was trying to generate pressure because by this stage Carr was in his groove and he was just cutting them to death. So Carr was pretty much anonymous for three quarters, you know, and then he sprung to life from the fourth quarter onwards. In his final 23 throws, he had 20 completions. He went for, um, and, and, and it was just, and in, 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 in the fourth quarter and overtime alone, he threw for 260 yards and two touchdowns. And that was in the fourth quarter and overtime alone. He just sprang to life. He went 20 for 23 for 267 yards and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter onwards. You know, there was two absolutely special throws. Now, I'm going to break the narrative on Carl a little bit because what Raiders fans, as much as anybody say, is the say that Carl's safe, he's conservative, He'll do what Gruden wants him to do. You know, we've got to break this narrative because what we saw last year was Carr setting a lot of protections, Carr calling a lot of audibles on the field. You know, we all, all heard the Cindy Gruden call, you know, and he's got all these calls where he's changing things. He's a really, really intelligent quarterback. I read somewhere he's got a photographic mind, you know, like he can, you know, he's, his, his IQ is in the top. 10% of NFL players, he's that clever. And he was he was changing protection packages at the line of scrimmage. He was he was picking out blitzers in the mic without Rodney Hudson being there. And in the fourth quarter, I was just unreal. He had 37 seconds left on the clock. And he made two throws, which I would probably say five, maybe six NFL quarterbacks at the moment can do. You know, and he... The fruit, and he went. He went. Of course, he went. He went. Um, Edwards, Brian Edwards, twice. He went. Um, he threw an 18 yarder and he threw a 20 yarder in the last in the last 37 seconds to put us into field goal range. You know, he wasn't. He didn't throw a perfect game. You know that interception. You know, like where he hit the defender on the helmet. It was thrown too hard. It was. It was wasting. He needed to take some juice off that. Willie Sneed couldn't get his hands up. He was about five yards away and it came at him about 95 miles per hour. You know, he wasn't perfect, but we'll have to break this narrative on Carr because and Raider fans probably have to do that as well because what we saw from Carr last year and what we saw from that fourth quarter onwards from Carr is we saw an elite-level quarterback play. We saw a guy who was able to set packages, throwing the ball downfield, I wasn't bothered about the targets to Waller. If you've got your best player, 
feed him the ball as much as you can until he gets hot. He's your best player. You don't want him getting cold if he's not catching the ball. Give it, give him more opportunities because you need him hot. So he was doing that, and yeah, it's just, it's just. I like, I like 2020 and 2021 call. I like last season and this season's call. And um, yeah, it was. Um, there was a lot of promise there. There was a, there was a lot of promise there. And I'm here to break the narrative on Derek Carr, and I need to listen to this myself. You know, I'm here to break your narrative on Derek Carr. You know, he, 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 he's a very, very good quarterback. He can get hot and he can be very good. It's uh, nicely put from uh, Mark there, and I'm sure he'll be he'll be hoping for continuous uh, Derek Carr love for, for the rest of the season. Hopefully it goes well for him. Uh, moving on, it's obviously like Mark said, we're not going to keep throwing our teams, teams in, in there every week, but I obviously watch the Seahawks and... Um, there's been a lot of talk of the defence. You know, everyone kind of thought that the Seahawks offence would be fine, especially with, with Warnsman coming over. But there were a lot of talk on the defence and they, they, they were, like I know we've mentioned, week one, it can change. But for week one, they were they were brilliant, um, Seattle on defence. You know, it, it there was a lot of change on there as well. There were so many different players, you know, like especially on the defensive line that, that had been there for a while but not really got many snaps. And they, they put a lot of pressure on... on, on um, Carson Wentz and the Colts, you know, and apart from obviously they were missing, it's fish unit that they've got a left tackle normally. I, I think I've got that right. I think I think they signed him. I, I think I think I've got it right. But he was out injured, and they had a, a guy called Davenport in there, who's apparently a lot of Colts fans were saying that he's not that good anyway. So apart from that, they've got they have got a, a very good line. The Colts, really good line, and it all starts for me with the Seahawks from stopping the run. You know, they've got. Jonathan Taylor, I think it was third or fourth top rusher from last year. And it all starts from there. Seahawks' his run defence has always been good. I think it was fifth last year. You know, that wasn't a concern. It was the passing. You know, I think they were 31st. I don't know who were 32nd, either Jets or Cowboys, I'm going to guess, maybe Falcons. But the, on the passing defence, the Seattle Seahawks were 31st last year. And that was the problem. And that was the problem that everyone thought going into this year. Are they going to put pressure on? Are the cornerbacks going to be good in protection? And they answered it, and they were and they were and they were good. You know, like you had people in there like Rasheem Green and Benson Mayawa on the edges. You know, putting pressure on constantly to Carson Wentz, who didn't have a bad game. You'd look at his quarterback rating. I know people can say what they want about quarterback ratings and how 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 bad they are, but he had a good game, Carson Wentz. But they kept putting pressure on him because they stopped the run game, and they were managed. Like I think uh, Mark touched on it earlier, he was saying that if you can limit how many people you put pressure on and get into the quarterback, you've got whatever you're playing in the back, you know, if you're playing two safeties, three cornerbacks, you know, linebackers, you've got all these people in coverage that can, that can like stay in coverage well and gives, makes the quarterback hold on to the ball longer. So even if you, like Carson Wentz were holding on the ball, I would count in a few times to six or seven seconds, you know, an extra few seconds longer than he should because the coverage was so good. And see, Seattle wasn't rushing so many players going forward, you know. And they were mixing up as well. They, they were playing a 4-3. They were playing, I think, when we were touching on um, defensive lines, we mentioned the 3-4 eagle front. They were playing that, Seattle, you know, like with... Um, a guy that a lot of people probably haven't heard of because he, he was out injured all last year, Daryl Taylor. Daryl Taylor only played 26 snaps, which were about 34% of, of Seattle snaps. But I think he got one sack and he put on about uh, four or five pressures on, you know, coming off the edge, you know, like it was more like 
like a, a really far, maybe a six tech or something like that. I, I think it was for Daryl Taylor, and he, and he and he was fantastic. He, Braden Smith, the right tackle, you know, is is a very good right tackle for the Colts. The one where he just barged him over, absolutely destroyed him going over the top of him. And Daryl Taylor's not like he's powerful and, and a decent sized guy, but. He's not the biggest, but he was fantastic. Rasheem Green putting pressure on, on, and then he got himself a sack. You know, we all know what Carlos Dunlap can do. Kerry Hyder, the, the rotation was all there, and like, I'm probably maybe I am overreacting after week one, but it was just as a Seahawk fan from last year to to this week one, it was just totally different to to what I've seen. And I'm, I'm obviously we're going to come up against better quarterbacks who can throw it quicker. You know, like out of the pocket, you know, let's spend less time, you know. So it'll be interesting to see how it progresses. But after week one, I couldn't ask for any more from this um, Seahawks defense, you know, especially the D line. I know Mark was a person who was, wasn't was sure how the Seahawks defense were going to look this year. So I'll, I'll let him come in and see if he saw anything or I mean, it's two pence worth. Yeah, you know, like. I didn't watch this game and I'm yet to watch this game, Jordan, if I'm honest. You know, like I've watched most of the weekend's games already. Some of them I watched in 40. Other ones I watched the full game, like the um, Eagles game, which we're coming on to. And I've, this is one of those games that I've had a chance to watch. You know, like, but there was things that I highlighted, um, which you've kind of already covered already, which I kind of wanted some answers on. One, how did your pass defence look? Because that looked terrible last year. You know, your pass defence. And we is able to keep the field short. Was it more of a bend, don't break defense where teams are moving freely and you're restricting the field goals or just outside the field goal range? Or were you actually able to keep the field short? Well, that's the thing. I think um, the first drive that they went down the field um, and the Colts and um, got to field goal and took a field goal. But another thing that Seahawks have always done well is once they get into that red zone, they've had a decent red zone defense a lot of the time and they held them to a field goal the first time with some, like I say, you'll have to go back and watch it because it's people criticize Jamal Adams and coverage and things like that. It, it was quite good on, on Sunday to be fair, but what he gives Seattle, the one play, I think it was, I think it was just inside the 10 yard line. And he times his run and he bolts through, like, I think it's the B gap, gap and stops um, Taylor, like, three, four yard shots and knocks them back out of the 10 yard line going into the third third down. And obviously they, they couldn't make it and had to kick the field goal. But early on in that uh, that drive, Jamal Adams, again, we could have they could have been punting, you know, early on in that drive as well. But Jamal Adams just timed it wrong, you know, coming out of a, coming out of a, of a blitz and stuff. And he was just a bit off and he was offside. But... I think they made them punt quite a bit of times, you know. Like um, obviously, the, one of the the, the last um, the last touchdown, they moved the ball down quite freely, but it was like at the back end of the game, you know, like with, with a few minutes left. But it, it's like you said, they they put, they put Carson Wentz in a situation where it was free and long because they, they stopped that run game. That's a massive thing for for you know if you can stop a run game and make put the ball in the quarterback's hand in long third down thingage you've got a chance and and what Seattle did well like I mentioned they didn't have to rush many so they had more in coverage like what well, like I said Colts line is good there is better lines out there so it'll be interesting to see when Seahawks come across these top lines if they have to use more players to rush and then we'll see what the coverage is like there you know when they're using less players to coverage but DJ Reed was good Trey Flowers were good you know that's with the two that they had for cornerbacks and um, Hugo Amadi came in as well, you know, like as um as a dime package. So uh, 
right now it's looking good, but it, there's going to be bigger tests for Seattle, which we will see, especially if they want to do have a big run in the playoffs as well. So that that's me talking Seahawks. I, I, I probably like got really excited, and we'll probably Titans will turn up next week after a, a terrible Cardinals performance and put me in my place. But a, another guy that had a, a good game where a lot of people were talking about him this year as is he the guy? You know, even me, I, I will I watched him at the back end of last year, and I was I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I was definitely saying he wasn't the guy, but I was still on the fence with with him, and that's Jalen Hurts at the Eagles, and. I'll come to you, Mark, because I know I, I know you definitely watched it. Bones might have watched it as well, but I know you definitely watched this, and you you were impressed with Jalen Hurts and um, and the and the offense. Yeah, this was one of those games that I went back and I watched it on Tuesday. Um, it wasn't just us that wasn't sure about Jalen Hurts. It was the Eagles organization that wasn't sure about Jalen Hurts to the point where they've stocked up draft picks to be able to move up for a quarterback if they want next year. They did have a look at him. They had a little quick look at him, you know what I mean? And what they would have seen is they would have seen, I mean, if he can maintain it for the air, they would have seen somebody who's involved, who's evolved as a player. When I watched Jalen Hurts last year, I saw a quarterback who was inaccurate, a leader, and willing to take the team on his back, but more often than not, it was through his legs and not through his arm. And he was quick to break pockets. He was quick to be running. And what I saw this week was a completely different version of that. Yeah, he still ran. You know, he had seven rush attempts. He went for 62 yards. But what I saw from Jalen Hurts is I saw a guy who was being able to, to actually hang in a pocket or actually look for the pass and go through one, two, even three reads before making that decision of going on his legs. Last year, it was more like one read, he's not the up and now I'm running. This week, it was this season. You could physically see him going through a progression. He was 27 of 35, 264 yards he threw for, three touchdowns. The thing that will really impress the Eagles, like, you know, like uh, Howie Roseman, was that he was able to get this year's first round draft pick and last year's first round draft pick into the game. Both of them had, um, Smith had six catches and a TD. Rager, he had six catches and a TD. You know, and, and, and Hurts just looked really good. And if they can see this, I know it's week one, and I know he was playing the Falcons who were dire. But, you know, like, we can only judge on what we've seen so far. And this is what we've seen so far. You know, we'll, we'll be talking about, if he's like this still by week six, we'll probably have a proper conversation. But they've got they've got two first round draft picks as it stands now, which can be three if Carson Wentz plays most of the games for the Colts this year, or the Colts get into the playoffs. So they've potentially got three first round draft picks next year. Jalen Hurts, they're going to be like if if they can find a quarterback in this lad and he can have because that was a quarterback performance. If he can have that progression throughout the season, and we can see more of that in these kind of games. They're going to be in a great position where they can go, well, actually, we don't need that quarterback now. But what we've got is we've got three first-round draft picks and we might get him a left tackle or we might get him a right tackle or we might put somebody on the offensive line or let's go get him another wide receiving weapon or what tight ends out there. Or they might build a defence, you know, which might help them because their front was good, their second view was a bit meh. You know what I mean? Um, and, yeah, it's they're in a good position, the Eagles, if Hurts can maintain this. I highlighted three throws where I've, 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 I really watched Hurts in this performance. 
Then I highlighted three throws, which are very different throws. The first one was the touchdown to Devonta Smith. He threw a lovely tear drop, touch pass, and just dropped it into the bucket of Devonta Smith in the corner of the end zone. It was a lovely up and under tear drop pass. He took all the heat off it and just lofted it up there. And it was just, you know, so many quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks, would be trying to fizz that ball through. But he just dropped that. And it was right into a bread basket. It was brilliant. It was, it was textbook. Textbook, you know. There was the best play of the game. Came on Dallas Goddard's nine-yard touchdown. Smith, he, uh, Hurts has, found, has, has, has felt a bit of pressure. He's moved to his right, and he's threw the ball across his body into a window, which must have been about a football and a half big, and it just went right into the bread basket of Dallas Goddard. Touchdown. Six points. Brilliant play. And then there was uh, another pass later on in the game where his edges have given up some pressure, and you know that would normally be when he's off on his bike. Instead, what he's done he stepped up into the, into the pocket and he's beamed the ball across the middle of the field and Devonta Smith's caught it for about 20 yards. You know, like third down completion, move the chains and you're back on again. It was a really impressive performance by Jalen Hurtis and I'm intrigued to see if it's an anomaly or not. Um, I want to have a little special mention for Javon Hargrove, who had a good game in this. He had two sacks. The left tackle, the kid who was playing a... Um, Australian rules football. He had a really good game. Can't remember his name. I wouldn't be able to pronounce it even if I did. Um, and the Eagles' defense did really well. I mean, their secondary was a bit mm, on paper, but you know, the 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 the, the forced the Falcons to six consecutive punts and two turnovers. You know what I mean? They were, so they were doing something right. I mean, but the Falcons did look absolutely dreadful. So yeah. It was a really good performance by by Hertz in particular. I'm going to follow this guy a little bit more this year to see if this is an anomaly or if this is a progression we're going to see. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's another interesting one. You know, there's so many stories in the NFL, but that that is one that's always caught my eye before week one started. You know, because I, I I I liked Rager coming out of college. I thought it was a, a good wide receiver. He just had no help yeah. last year whatsoever. You know, and obviously with Devontae Smith coming in this year, it's a lot. That and that's if, like I said, if Jalen Hurts is, is the guy and he can get it before next year, Eagles are in a fantastic position. You know, do you, do you like what you saw from Hurts? I know, like, I know Max said it's on the Falcons, and it's true. They've got the 49ers next week on Sky Sports. If you ain't got a game pass, so that'll be interesting for, for, for the Eagles. What did you see? Well, I won't try and I'm not going to try and recover too much, but I think. I think the one thing I did like about this game, I think we, on this podcast at least, we were all firm believers that Devonta Smith would be absolutely fine at an NFL level. He's played at this size his whole life, not going to struggle. And he, I think he went out there and he showed that he did. He's not going to struggle. Like the touchdown one was one I wanted to talk about in particular. I think it's a really interesting route concept. If you go back and watch the either the all twenty two or even the replay, I think you can see what happens. Um, the cornerback who's meant to be covering Devonta Smith gets hit with a rub route, which is where a wide receiver who's not catching the ball bumps the cornerback to stop them. And by that point, Smith's like five yards ahead of him. He's got all the time in the world. And like you say, Hertz throws an absolute dime to him on the outside of the end zone. But 
the route concept as well was perfect for setting up Smith to be clear of any sort of pressure. But even when he did have to face man like a bit of man pressure, he was able to shake his guy a lot of the time. He didn't get jammed up at the line all that much. Sometimes it was because he wasn't at the line. But yeah, no, I think that was my big thing was I really liked Devonta Smith in this game. I think all these detractors who are like, oh, he's too small to play in the NFL are going to have to eat their words a little bit if it keeps up like this. Like we say, week one, times time could change yet, but based on week one alone, people might have to eat the words a little bit. Well, yeah. What we saw is, is we saw sometimes what Gruden hasn't done with Lugs. We saw uh, Sirianni was, was, was scheming Smith Urban. And we were like, we said Smith will be able to play in this league. He's played small all his life, Bones. He said it perfectly, and we've said it. He's been this way all his life and been a success. Why won't he not be a, a success in the NFL? But his offensive coordinator helped him with that. You know, he schemed him over in that rub route. There was all that kind of stuff where he made sure that he wasn't on press. And I suppose I'll refer to Henry Ruggs because, you know, Alabama wide receiver, slightly underweight, plays for my team, so I can compare the two. You know, it's what Gruden doesn't do with Ruggs. You know, it's what Gruden didn't do with Ruggs in his first season. You know, like, and Ruggs struggled off press. And that's the difficult thing coming from the college game and the NFL game, is how you're going to get off press. Well, this is one way of doing it. Make sure he doesn't face it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if he does face it, give him a helping hand on it. You know what I mean? And and in Devonta Smith's, you know, like credit, he was beating press anyway. He has really good movement off the line of scrimmage. He's got really quick feet. And just doesn't let hands get on him. He's going to be a very good receiver on this game. But we all said that. We all said he's going to be a very good receiver on this game. And he is going to be a very good receiver on the NFL. You know, he really is. Yes, um, they're our four stock up this week and they're definitely ones that all had massive question marks coming into this season. So it's four areas that are really going to be interesting to watch unfold over the next few weeks, you know, to see if if the stock was crashing back down again or if it stays up to where the, the levels were from week one. Oh, Bone, next up is stock down, so Bones is going to get up the next one. We've picked out four from there, and I'm I'm going to come back to you, Bones, um, straight away. It, it was obviously we talked about Cliff Kingsbury and Arizona Cardinals offense, and obviously we touched on the defense. Well, obviously stock down has got to be the Tennessee um, offense, and uh, which didn't get going at all. You know, like um, I, I know, like as mentioning like uh, COVID and stuff like that. I know, like there's been quite a bit of a mix up. You know, like with everything that's going on there. You know with like people being out, the same happened with Colts as well. So I suppose I shouldn't get too excited with the Seahawks, you know. Tennessee offense, what, what happens? You know, obviously I know you're a big running back guy. Derek, Derek Henry just didn't get off the ground, his ground running whatsoever, did he? Well, this, this is the thing about the Titans and I, I did kind of touch on it at the start of the show. I think their, their offense is predicated on running first and then using play action and that kind of stuff to, to scheme the rest of the field open because you draw in the you draw in the linebackers so that you open up the middle of the field for your wide receivers. But the Cardinals didn't ever get themselves into a position where they needed to bring in too many people so that those those gaps were open for the Titans. They were on Tannehill too quickly. They stopped they stopped Henry in his tracks. So the play action wasn't the play action is less for threat if the running game isn't a threat. That's the that's the big thing about play action playbooks is if your run game's not not working that game, the whole the whole playbook sort of stumbles a little bit. And I think we really saw that with the Titans this week. I think 
I think Mark's probably going to touch on it, but I don't think the defense played particularly well either. Like the Cardinals were through for nearly 300 yards and ran for over 100 yards across their running backs. Like they had a good game against the Titans D as well. But yeah, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If the, if you can stop Henry, you can stop the Titans, and clearly the addition of Julio hasn't quite helped that. Um, but the O line didn't help Tannehill this game, in my opinion, either. I, I think the O line struggled uh, definitely. But yeah, that's that's about it on the Titans from me. So, uh, can I get anything there? Anybody else? I think George. I think George might have froze up a bit there. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. I'll just I'll just come in and and tell you what I thought, Bones. You know, in case me and you have to go on from this show. What I saw is I saw an offensive had absolutely no game plan, like none whatsoever. They were quick, like they were running on first down, couldn't get first down running going, but abandoned it too quickly, you know. Like and 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 Todd Downing just called an absolute nightmare of a game. We didn't see anything really. What um what we used to from the from 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 Tennessee, we didn't see any tight ends being used. We didn't see any play action. They were passing on first, second, and third down sometimes. They abandoned my uh, Derek Henry. I mean, the offensive line didn't help them, but Todd Downing was just a disaster at the Raiders. He was a disaster at the Broncos. He's went to a really good offense. And if this game's anything to go by, and this is why we've got stocked down Todd Downing, they're, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in trouble. Do you know what was also alarming as well? Their pass rush isn't fixed on defense. They struggled all last year with pass rush. And they got Bud Dupree in, who was a big free agent signing, thinking, now we'll be able to get home. We'll have Landry on one side. We'll have Bud Dupree. Pass rush couldn't get home. Couldn't get home all day. You know, like, the reason they could not get any pressure on Kyla Murray. And the time they did get pressure on Kyla Murray, he was easily able to break content. And he was extending players all over the place. It was a really, really disappointing performance by the Tennessee who are quite fancied at the start of the season because they have got a deep roster. But a lot of the, like Todd Downing just called a putrid game on offense. No game plan. I don't think he went in with a game plan. I just thought he had a handful of calls. He was like, well, I'll call these, but it didn't look like they'd schemed anything. Um in their defense, yeah, that pass rush is still a problem. It's gonna be it's still a problem. It might take a while for Bud Dupree to get hot. Especially when you look at what the Steelers did and you look Melvin Ingram, who basically replaced Bud Dupree for about a fifth of the price, and he looked fantastic for the Steelers. So I've always said, don't pay other teams pass rushers. Don't pay another team's number two pass rusher, like your number one. And that's like you know, like that's that's what they've done. They went and got Bud Dupree. They would have saw a lot of one on one matchups because what's on the other side of them. They paid him like a number one pass rusher. You couldn't get him. There was lots of pressure. It's going to be something out again. I'm going to be watching as the season goes along. Uh, just, I'll throw it back to you, Max, because obviously you mentioned Todd Downing. You know, like Arthur Smith leaving. You know, what did? How much? Like I know you were just saying there were no game. It didn't seem like any game plan in it at all. Would you not think? I know every every coach has got their own identity and try and think. Would you not like what Rifted with Tannehill and, and Cole last year? Would you not try and keep some of that? Did they look anything like the same as last year? Nope, nope. There was no play action. The tight ends were barely used. They abandoned the run quickly. They were dire. They were dire, Jordan. They looked like they had absolutely no game plan. You know, um, the, like, it was such. 
I kind of emphasise how bad this was on offence and how bad the game calling was from town to from, uh, down. He was misreading situations. He was misreading basic situations. He was passing on first, second and third down. So he was... Normally the Titans are like, let's rush on first down and let's get four or five yards behind uh, Derek Henry and shorten this field, you know? Let's shorten this, the chains. Well, they're banning the run quickly and they were passing on first down and it was an incompletion. The second down then becomes a rush down because you don't want to have another incompletion in front of beat third and ten. You'd rather take two or three yards and it'd be three and seven, you know what I mean? But he was going past first down, past second down, past third down. And there were so many threes and outs. They couldn't get anything going. Like, honestly, a high school offensive coordinator could have, could have called a better game than what Todd Downing did this week. Well, um, I hope it continues into next week because um, they're coming to, to play Seattle in, in, in Seattle, which uh, we'll get a second look at them and see if uh, anything's changed on there. Hopefully not. So uh, next uh, stock down is Josh Allen. And I was watching the Seahawks, and I had um, I had that on loud, but I had on the TV, I had um, on Sky Sports, I had the the Steelers and the Bills on, you know, and I kept flicking over and looking at it. And it looked to me like I'll go to you, Bones, after. But what I saw flicking back and forth, it just looked like a bit like 2019 Josh Allen, where he just didn't have much answers and he just get, kept me getting caught out, you know, like in the pocket, you know, like I don't know how many times he was sacked in the end up, you know, but every time I looked over, it looked like he were panicking in, in the pocket. Um, I, I don't know if you thought similar or if there's something else that you saw. Well, I think, I think we all thought last year, you know, Josh Allen's made the third year jump, but I don't, I don't think we can be too reactionary about this one, which I guess is why he's only second is because, Let's not forget, the Steelers have a good defense. Like The Steelers are no slouches on defense. They really didn't make his life easy. And I think, I think that has a lot to do with why maybe it wasn't as good as it could have. I mean, the guy still threw for 270 yards. He didn't have the touchdowns. And, you know, the, the, long, the long passes, like the deep passes, were, I think the longest was, I got over here, uh, longest was 37. So there's no massive throws. There's no, but it wasn't exactly a bad game for him. It just wasn't what you'd expect. You'd expect a step. If you've made the third year jump, you'd expect the fourth year to have another sort of, if not as big a jump, at least a step in the right direction in this game. We maybe didn't see it as much, but again, let's not, let's not ignore the fact that the Steelers are one of the better defenses in the league. And it's not easy for a guy in Josh Allen's position coming up against that. I don't know if you've got any opinion of this, Mark. Um, was it was it a case of that uh, Josh Allen was quite bad, or did the Steelers just uh, make life difficult and he's, he's going to be okay going forward and it's just a good Steelers defence? It's worthy of putting up, yeah. It's worthy of noting. It's worthy of following this trend in the next few weeks because he didn't start good last year either. It was about the third or fourth game he got hot last year. But we all said, you know, like, he had a passer rating of over 90 by PFF last year. Whereas the rest of his career had been like 67, 68. And he was back in the 60s this week. And we, we were always saying, has he made the jump or is it an anomaly? Which one is it? And this is why he's on this graph, because it's worthy of other NFL fans in the UK to have a look at this and start looking. If, if, if we know that Josh Allen has to perform, at a, at a, is it elite? Is he elite or was it just an elite-like season? We've seen that from quarterbacks before. Seen quarterbacks who aren't elite have elite-like seasons. 
you know, and, and, and it's an anomaly. Was that what this was for Josh Allen? Um, the questions there, it's something to follow. We're not going to overreact. But yeah, what he, what he improved that last year wasn't necessarily the long throws. Was the intermediate accuracy that he had last year? This year, he struggled on this. He, like this week, he struggled on that intermediate level. He struggled on that intermediate level. Um, again, they, they've got a good matchup this weekend. Um, well, it's not like they're playing Miami. But for them, they would feel it's in conference. We know these opponents. We're, we're playing them two times a season. Josh Allen should know this defence. You know, he's seen this defence before. Twice last year. He's going to see them twice again this year. Um, you know, this is a good matchup for Josh Allen because he's in division. He should be. What he should see is he, there shouldn't be anything new to him. So, yeah, I guess we're going to judge it a little bit more this week when they're playing the Miami Dolphins. Who, yeah, Josh Allen should be more familiar with this than he was against the Steelers. It's funny you mentioned that he started off slow and got hot last year because I think it was against us where he really stepped step forward. He absolutely smashed us, you know, and really everyone put 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 eyes on himself, really, how well he played in that game. And I don't want a good Seahawks like past events I've mentioned, but it was a standout game and he just seemed to get better and better from there. Another team that we've got in here that obviously got to the playoffs last year, you know, as well as like the Bills and the Titans is, is Green Bay. And obviously we know how bad they were on well um, yeah they were bad on offense you know like um putting up three points i think it was you know and uh, rogers just not getting it going but we've put the green bay defense up here because i think mark wanted to put the, put this up and he saw some concerns from that so i'll let, I'll let mark talk about what you saw from the green bay defense yeah you know this this green bay team is a very experienced veteran team they've spent a lot of years playing together this green bay team you know what i mean or like you know, like the, the, the you know the, the, they've been around a long time. There's not many new pieces came in or out. They're returning a lot of pieces from last year, but they don't play like it. They didn't play like it. They looked terrible on defense this week. You no, know, it really wasn't a very good defense last year. But they had enough pieces in where you're thinking, you no, know, they've got Smith and you know they've they've got Rayshon Gary who was getting hot and they've got Jair Alexander who's who's one of the top five cornerbacks in the NFL. He's a really good corner, and you kind of thought at least their big bits did well, you know. But oh, there's a poor on the second level. I don't know who their linebackers are, but they're not of anyone of note. They look terrible. Um, the defensive coordinator that they brought across, I'm stealing this from something else I heard this week. Was the defensive coordinator for Hughes Bones when you went 0-16? LeFleur's brought him across because he liked what he did as the linebacker's coach at um, the Rams last year. But, oh, that was an awful game he called this week. Um, you know, he doesn't come with much clout. He was the Washington Redskins defensive coordinator at a time before the main and before they got good. He's never really coached a good defense, so he's been caught of a good defence and like a good defence as linebackers coach. But yeah, um there was a lot of question marks there. There was a lot of question marks there. Um Green Bay did look really poor on defence. Do you know what they looked like? They looked like they were entitled. They looked like they came out and they looked like like they, they, they thought they were like they looked entitled. You know, like they looked like egotistical, they look like, you know, like Alan Rodgers, even himself, you know, come on, come, spoke in the game after. Instead, like, yeah, we, we, we came out and we we, we fought with Hallett in the bag. We, we didn't have the right attitude going in. And um, look, 
Green Bay have got another favourable matchup this week. They're playing your Detroit Lions, Bones. You know, they've got the exact, you know, they're playing in division. They've got opponents who they know, who they feel confident in beating. I wouldn't like to be playing them this week if I was honest, because I think, you know, like you can only prod a bear so much. And I think they're going to probably bite somebody's heads off this weekend. Unfortunately, it's going to be a lion whose heads get bitten off. You know, and, and, and yeah. It, it was concerning. It was concerning because it looked arrogant and it was concerning because that defense is full of veterans, but it looked like uh, it looked like a bunch of rookies. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a really good point about the Green Bay defense being like the core problem with this game. And I know, obviously, this week Jamie from the main podcast has been really happy that Jamarius Winston had five touchdowns scored and had a really good game. But I think it is worth noting, only threw for 148 yards, five touchdowns and 148 yards. Something was going very wrong on the Green Bay side of the field that they were in those kinds of positions where, you know, it, it's, that's, you must have been in a short field basically every one of those touchdown plays. Like, and that's, that's a really bad sign from the Green Bay defense. That's not necess- I'm not trying to take anything away from Winston. Like he, he played a good game. He's clearly done well in Sean Payton's system. And if he keeps this up, it'll go well. But 148 yards for five passing touchdowns is, is pretty, you know, it's pretty low yardage for that kind of touchdown. And we'd expect hundreds of the, in the 300 yard things for like five touchdowns. So, yeah, giving the short field every single time is, is not a good look. And like you said, Jair, people like Jair Alexander were just completely shut out. And then the offense looked no better. New Orleans defense really really, really shut down Aaron Rodgers. But like you say, I wonder how much of that is due to him missing all of the off-season stuff over this like contract dispute, essentially, and and whether he wanted to play in Green Bay. I think that's probably hurt them as well. I think he's missed too, he's missed quite a bit. So, yeah, I didn't. Um, it's another game that I, I didn't watch, but I just looked at the. I remember looking at the box scores on um, after the weekend, which I normally do, and then I, I looked at uh, the the Saints and they didn't really it didn't look like they do much really. I think they only I think they only just got over 300 yards total in rushing and passing so I don't know if they were like it with the turnovers that put them in, in, in better positions I know Green Bay's rushing like I think they had 43 yards I'm guessing obviously they had to pass more because they were so far behind so so early I believe but it's another one to keep their eye on you know like I know Jamie's about Jameis but it's week one like I said he's had a good he had a good week like he only did he only passed 140 48 yards. I mean, obviously, yeah, five touchdowns, fair enough. But we'll we'll see. I don't know who the Saints have got next week, but we'll see. Like, Payton is Sean Payton is good at getting people. Like, no matter how bad they are, he's, he's he's one of the best coaches in the league. You know, like obviously Belichick's number one for me, but Payton is is good. So we'll see about that. As far as touch on that, since old Jamie's in the in the in the in the chat, he's not on our. And I think Bones might mention him later. And finally, on um, the stock down. To be honest, we I don't know if they could get any further down on stock down. To be honest with you, but we've got the New York Giants offensive line. Mark, dealing with York Giants offensive line. What, what did you see? You put them on there. Could they get even further down? Am I right? Dan was putting people on there who were former, maybe you know, like who we don't give enough credit to. We were kind of knocking the Giants quite a bit, but. If their stock could go down any further, it's gone down. Like, um, I mean, I was, I was, I didn't even have a foot on the Giants bus, but like, I'm not, like, I'm not even in the car park now. Like, I'm not even in the car park. 
you know, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. There's some crazy stuff where they're blocking their own players. Like there was, there was Andrew Thomas actually had a decent game in this game. To be honest with you, he didn't look too bad. But the rest of the line just looked terrible. Daniel Jones, another turnover. You know, another turnover in this game. You know, I, I make a lot about quarterbacks with small hands. Daniel Jones has small hands. You know what I mean? He fumbles a lot. This was just a very, very bad, disjointed performance for the Giants. They're playing tonight. And I fear for the life of Daniel Jones with, with like Chase Young and Montez Sweat and that Washington front. I fear for the life of them because Washington weren't that bad on the weekend. I actually thought they could have won that game. I thought that it was a close game and they did all right against the Chargers. And I think Washington is just going to annihilate them tonight. I just think that, that Washington front are going to absolutely annihilate them. I think, I think, and, and look, I'm saying this and feel free, Tom, to snip at me like we snipped at you at the start of it. I'm saying it with so much confidence. You are going to get annihilated tonight. That Washington front is going to, it's going to run through Daniel Jones's face. Because your line's made out of paper, mate. You couldn't get Saquon Barkley going. Yet alone, I'm not having many touches. Even if he was having touches, he wouldn't have got going because you couldn't block anything. You couldn't create anything. And it's not going to get any easier tonight against Washington, is it, really? No, I'll jump on with you with that, to be honest with you, Mark. I think uh, what Washington, and I think it'll be quite comfortable, to be honest with you. Like, Tyler Heineck is probably going to come in tonight, and I think he'll... I think he'll Put, put quite a lot of points on top of Giants because they'll keep handing it back to him to put points on. Obviously, you mentioned Barkley there and stuff. Obviously, there was big question marks. They, they took him off of um, you know, off the injury list, you know, and it looked like he was going to have more snaps, and he didn't have many snaps. I don't know why you'd why you'd put him in if he's not going to have many snaps. If he's fit, let him play as many snaps. If he's not fit, don't give him limited limited snaps where he could we, we could aggravate an injury again. It were it were a weird one for me. Bones, I know, I know, like um, you're a big fan of running backs. I've been mentioned and stuff. You know, what did you think of the um, of, of the Barkley situation? Well, I mean, I think a picture is worth a thousand words, which is why I went for the one that is on the Giants' picture for this. And we've all said it ourselves that when it comes to rushing, you know, a good running back is is only really as good as the line in front of them. Some running backs can obviously make make more out of less, but um, they really didn't try and run all that much. It wasn't even just that Saquon didn't get the snaps. No one, no one did. They attempted a total of what twenty runs for sixty yards. That was it. And I think probably a lot of that comes down to the O line was an absolute disaster. Like Von Miller looking like he's playing in 20, 2011 when he was a fucking defensive rookie of the year. Like. 32-year-old man just leathering people because the book, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's it's not a good look. And I think, yeah, it's it's making it look worse for their, you know, their rushing game. You know, it's question marks over Saquon when really, how are you meant to do anything if that's in front of you? Yeah, so um, that covers our stock down. We will keep a track on these, you know, Obviously, going through the season, obviously in a week two, it's New York Giants offensive line starts tonight. Mark's already called it out how he thinks it's going to happen. It'll be interesting. It should be a good. I'm looking forward to the game. I was just watching Washington. Not, I don't think it'll be a close game. I'm just looking forward to watching Washington. But it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. So our next bit, we've all 
got our own little area what we're going to cover over each week and stuff. Obviously, I'm going to kick it off first. I'm going to pick out a couple of rookie performances of the week, you know, on offense and defense. And on offense, I picked out Mac Jones. I could have gone. There were a few like um, Chase, Waddle and Smith had good games. I know Bones mentioned Sewell, you know, on the offensive line had a good game and stuff. But I went, I went for Mac Jones because I thought it was a pick of the quarterbacks as well. And I know they lost to the Dolphins, but I, and, and there were a couple of things he could have done better. But for a rookie performance, I think he were, I think he were brilliant. He was perfect. He, he, he's exactly what Bill Belichick wants, and he's going to better and better with this. Um, with, with more games under him, more experience. He, he, he has some nice passes. He's he's just so composed in the pocket. You know, like I, I know a lot of people don't watch um, college football, but you've got Bryce Young at Alabama, who plays way above his age at the moment. You know the way he's playing for Alabama. He's he's, he's like he's like like been around for for years in college football. And Matt Jones was the same on Sunday. You know, he, you wouldn't have thought that he was a, he's a rookie. You know, like I said, I did make a few mistakes, but it was no different to to other quarterbacks in the league. And I think that's going to be really one to watch. He, like I said, his performance, even though they lost, it was nothing to do with him. You know, he, he put them in in a good position to win, and they probably should have won in the end up. Anyway, and on defense, it would mark that point me into the into Paulson and Abel because I didn't watch the Saints game, but I did like him come out of college. I thought it would be a good a good steal. He put, got picked in the third round by by the Saints, and I, I really liked him coming out of Stanford. It was his, this was his first game since 2020 because he opted out in, in 2020. Um, again, he probably got into the game through through injuries and and. You know, like I think, um, I think it was Brian Poole, might have been. I think it was Brian Poole who was suspended. Um, so I don't know if he'll play next week, but when he did come in, he, he, he did well. He had an interception, he had um, a pass breakup on the, uh, the day, he had three tackles. He, he had a good game, and obviously, his interception, he, he probably was caught out by Deontay Adams. It were Deontay Adams, he does most cornerbacks, let's be honest. He did him on the inside, and, and he was lagging behind, but it was a, a bad throw from, from Aaron Rodgers, where I think it got. Got his arm hit or something, and he went fell into Paulson in Adeo's hand, and he run it back for about forty yards. But he, he did well on the opposite side to Lattimore, and um, he, he, he had for, for his first game, especially in in two year, in two years as well. He hasn't played, you know. I thought he had a really good game, and like I said, I don't know if he'll play next week, but because I know Brian pulls back from suspension, and I'm not sure about the injury, so it'll be interesting. We want to keep an eye on him. He might, he might play a few snaps, but for his first game, you know, against. Um, Aaron Rodgers and Cohen, no, they didn't have a good game either, but I thought I thought he had a really good game when I went back and watched the highlights of him when Mac mentioned. Obviously, JP's not here, but if he was here, he would be talking about his O-line of the week. And I watched the first half of, of the Browns. Um so and I, I didn't watch it all, but I know that the Browns' offensive line is good. We saw it last year. But I know, I think Mark, I'm not sure if Mark watched this game. I think he did see has been mentioned in the Browns. So I'll hand it over to him. But what I saw in the first half, it looked as good as they were last year. Yeah, yeah. The, the Browns' offensive line was good. They were open, up lanes. You know, like the fumbles did for them. They had a fumble, throw out a fumble when they were still in this game. And that wasn't on the offensive line. The offensive line, I saw two offensive line units I was really impressed with this week. One was the Saints. That was largely because Green Bay's defence couldn't generate anything. And the other one was the Cleveland Browns. We know that the offensive line of the week is going to be John's normal section. But we're stepping in to fill in here. And yeah, the, the, I watched the Browns game against the Chiefs like most people did. And that line still impressed us. That line still impressed us. It wasn't the reason why they lost. Um, I think that fumble for Chubb you know, was a key, was a key turnover on that game. 
Um, yeah, so you know, line of the week, we'll give it to the we'll give it to the Cleveland Browns or New Orleans Saints. There were two lines that we picked out. If you remember when we talked about the offensive group, we said that they were two elite lines, and they were probably the best two lines on the day this week. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. You know, Browns, Browns have got a very good line, and obviously Bones is going to do the voice of the voiceless. You know, the underdogs. You know, the ones who are not getting mentioned, the ones who are having. Uh, Consistently thinking they're going to be bad, bad players, you know, like you know, like not good and stepping up. So I'll hand it over to you, Bones. You picked out a couple. Yeah, there's there's two I wanted to touch on this week. Um, both offensive guys, but for different teams in different places. The first one I watched was uh, I watched the Panthers versus the Jets because I wanted to see how this went down. People have been saying they don't expect Donald to be any better than he was at the Jets, and Zach Wilson's going to have the same problems, and so on and so forth. And I thought. I wanted to see it. So, Donald, I think, had a had a mixed bag. I don't, in terms of passes, there was a mixed bag. Some were good, some were bad. Some of the drops were entirely on the receivers. Some of the drops were on the ball being bad. It happens. But in terms of his passing game, anything shorter than 10 yards or anything behind the line to gain, he went 21 for 22 uh, for 169 passing yards. And there is something to be said. A lot of that was probably generated through McCaffrey, but we mentioned it before. If you've got that star player, you're going to lean on them a bit. And I think McCaffrey's one of those guys. If you've got him on your team, you're going to want to lean on it on him a bit. So, but then there were there were some other highlights that I wanted to bring up because I thought McCaffrey had some good plays. Yeah, but there was an absolute fantastic catch by DJ Moore down the sideline. With a, it was a proper toe drag moment. It was a it was a Great adjustment in the air to the ball. Looked absolutely fantastic. There was a big play-action bomb to Robbie Anderson up the field. Obviously, the two played together in, at the Jets, so the two connecting for a big gain against the Jets was probably quite a good feeling for them, I imagine, coming out of that system. Um, there were some struggles in the deeper passes. The middle, the mid-range was where there was just no completions, really. Um, his only three completions were in the deeper sort of range. But... The again, the O line didn't help. The Jets were able to generate about eleven pressures on on Donald in that game, and he ran for his sixth rushing touchdown of his career. So, I think I think we could see something for Donald this year. I don't think he's just going to struggle as much as he did at the Jets. Um, and yeah, I think I think this was a good sign. The other one I wanted to touch on whilst I'm here is um, Brandon Cooks, who's currently playing for the Houston Texans now. This guy's had 5,000-yard seasons with four different teams. Um, and I guess there's something to be said for that. The guy's a really good player, and he's probably... If you're playing in a fantasy football league, he's probably one of the most slept-on wide receivers in your league. You'd probably be able to... Dra- you probably drafted him way later in the rounds than most 1,000-yard receivers went. And I went and did a bit of research quickly on this guy just to see what the stories were. Because four different teams, when you were a 1,000-yard receiver, is a bit questionable and a lot of the teams seemed to come back with the same answer there was always the same reason he got traded was he didn't quite fit in when his first team New Orleans we heard that if he didn't get the ball enough he'd complain and that's not a great environment in the te- in the locker room um and yeah every everything every team he went to after that had a similar reason for the for the trade for a pick you know he's a good thousand yard receiver get some get some value out of him but a lot of them just said he's just not fit in he's just not a fit for our offense or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I think it's strange that we don't hear as much about him because really he is it's 5,000-yard receiving seasons. He's 5'10", but doesn't play like it. If you watch this week's game, the, there's a jump ball he goes up for in double coverage and he absolutely comes down with it, no doubt about it. This guy does not play like a 5'10 dude. Like 
he's a legitimate outside threat. Like think of, I guess in the way like a Nicole Hardman or a, like he plays that sort of style. He's a, big, he's a legitimate deep outside threat. Um, but I guess I, if you're a fan of players, Brandon Cooks is great to watch. If you're a fan of the Texans, I wouldn't hold your breath because the Texans don't seem to be interested in holding on to anything of value in the Texans team. They've already, well, they traded away Bradley Roby recently, didn't they? A perfectly serviceable cornerback. They just traded him away for some, some picks and value. So hopefully he stays with the Houston Texans and continues to have good seasons, but he could end up somewhere else next year and throw up another thousand yard receiving season with his fifth different team. Yes, um, it's a good shout from uh, Ben Crooks. I know, like Mark's a fan, and I think he was picked him up quite quite late in, in one of our fantasy drafts, which we were happy about. Um, I, like I said, it'd be interesting to watch the Texans. I know, like it were against the Jaguars, and you know, like um, first off, but um, Ty Fox Howard Taylor played well. You know, like under circumstances, you know, like of like all the everything that's going on with um, Deshaun Watson is obviously he just got on with it and he, and he played well. Like I said, there's going to be a bigger test for him. I think they've got the Browns next week. So we'll see you there. And like, like you mentioned, we're going to move into like some week two um, matchups that we like. And you mentioned uh, Sam Darnold. He's going to come up against the Saints this week, you know, which is a, a, a big test for this Panthers um, offense. So that's a good one. Mark, is, what, what, do, what do you like on week two slate? I like the Chargers against the Cowboys. I think that's going to be really interesting game too. Very young quarterbacks who, you know, like uh, who are exciting to watch in Herbert and Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott looked fantastic this week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, like he didn't look like a guy who was coming off a horrific injury. The Cowboys have been really unlucky, haven't they? They've had a few injuries this week. Gallup's out. I saw that Dale Collins is going to miss games. Demarcus Lawrence has bruised his foot. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so... But that's one game that I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing um, the, the battle of the two rookies, the Jets against the Pats. You know what I mean? No, I'm looking forward to that. You, you hit the nail on the head with, the, with with Mac Jones. The reason why the Patriots lost that game wasn't Mac Jones. He had a really good game. I thought he looked all right. He didn't throw the game for them. They were in a position to win it. Um, but yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to seeing Zach Wilson against um, against Mac Jones. Um, I don't want to be a homer, but I'm really looking forward to seeing the Steelers against the Raiders. So, yeah, I mean, they're the, they're the three games that I'm really interested in seeing. They're the three games. The Cowboys charge, as I'm going to say, is going to be probably game of the week. I think it's going to be very offensive. I think it's going to be high scoring. Um, I think people will be talking about the Ravens, like Chiefs, as being game of the week. But I genuinely think that the, that the Cowboys Chargers game is going to be like a slugging match where it's TDs everywhere and it's Prescott versus Herbert, you know what I mean? So that's the game I'm more looking forward to watching this week. I, I know um, I know it's only early, we're going to get to, but it, it is like you've got the Rams at the Colts, Rams 1 0, Colts 0 uh, 1, Titans 0 1, going to see Hawks 1 0. If you're Colts and Titans, you don't want to get into an 0 2 so early on against, you know, like. It's so stacked that AFC side. You just don't want to get into. Like I say, I know it's seventeen games this year, and it's so early to say. But you just don't want to get too much into a hole early on. You know, it can, it can come back to haunt you, especially if you don't get back into a rhythm. Especially Titans. If Titans have another poor, poor game like that, you know, it's it, 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 you need to get that confidence back up. Bones, what about you for the week two schedule? We've 
I know you want to say Lions and Packers on Monday night, but is there anything else? Yeah, obviously, yeah, Lions Packers Monday night. Obviously, I agree with Mark. Probably going to be a tough game for us. We don't have a defense. So we proved that already this year, um, but we have a bit of an offense. Maybe we'll see. Um, no games. I'm really looking forward to watching. I think. Jets Patriots is an obvious one. Like, like has been hard. I don't want to go on too much about Matt Jones, but obviously, Miami's Brian Flores' defense is a good defense, and he still played very well in that game. There were a few passes where he left yards on the field. He could have made a slightly better read, but first game against that defense, yeah, I'll be interested to see him against the Jets, which is definitely a more porous defense. So I think, yeah, I think he could have a pretty good game this week. I think Rams Colts is is definitely up there for me. I think week one Matthew Stafford. Looked great in that Rams offense. Uh, I can't, I can't, I can't put into words how happy I am to see this. Like I, I said, Stafford in that McVeigh offense is going to look good. First drive comes out absolute dime for like however many yards. It was a big throw, and the Bears defense just fell apart in that in in that one play. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's one definitely for me. I think and. Um, what was the other one I saw that I was actually quite interested in when I saw it? Oh, Bears-Bengals, actually, because the Bengals, credit where credit's due, had a really good week one. And, yeah, I'm interested to see how that goes. I'm interested to see if Dalton can keep this job much longer or if Fields is going to start. So, yeah, those are my one. I think Matt Nagy and Chicago Bears thinking about dodge the bullet, not being on stock down. Luckily, there were a few people that uh, just got in front of them. And each week we're going to end on, like we did last week, Mystic, Mark, Bet of the Week. I'll hand it over to you. Let's out. Last minute, I put the I put the bet on the Raiders on the money line, and it was the only thing that came off us. And the Raiders actually pulled us into profit, so I was in profit for seventy pence on me betting this week. Um, but I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and chase some of these trends. So I'm thinking. I'm again. I'm doing money lines. I'm doing no spread betting. Um, it's way too early in the in 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 the season to be doing handicap betting, so I'm doing straight up money line betting, and I'm going to bet on the Bills and the Pats to fix their defeats and to beat Miami and the Jets, and I'm going to follow the trend of the Cardinals, and I'm going to go for the Cardinals to beat the Vikings. So if you want to treble, I'm going Bills, Patriots, and Cardinals all on the money line. And if you want to make it a cheeky quartet, if you want to put a fourth team in there, let's, let's back the trends again and let's see the Seahawks beat the Titans. So for me, for me, treble, I'm going to go Bills, Pats and Cards. And if you want to make it a cheeky quartet, stick the Seahawks in there. I think the treble pays two to one. So if you put a 10 on, you're going to get 30 quid back. And the, 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 the cheeky quartet's a little bit more. I think Bones will probably tell you, or we'll find out the odds exactly. I think it was like you put a tenner on and you get some like £56 back or something like that, or £46, I can't remember. But that's me, that's me predictions this week. Back the Bills and the Pats, to put it right. Back the Cards and the Seahawks to continue their good fortune. Thanks for that, Mark. Well, I hope you're right about the last one. You know, <laughs> I appreciate that. So it was a tough week, week one. You know, there were quite a lot of shocks, and and it just were a bit all over the place. Week one, I don't know if that's coming onto a off a season of COVID last year. Who knows? But let's let's hope it doesn't continue that way, and it goes back to to form as as Mark as Mark predicts. So that's it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week to dissect week two with some new 
stocks up and stocks down. And hopefully JP uh, is back next week and he can go through his own lines over the week and uh, in a lot more detail. So um, thank you very much for, for watching and uh, we'll see you next week. One last time. Touch whilst Jordy's is obviously active in the chat. I just wanted to make sure. Um, he, quite, quite a while ago, we um, we did our fantasy draft, and um, pretty sure he put a prediction in the group somewhere. Unfortunately, I can't find it. Otherwise, I would have already been on this. Um, but Jordan and I played each other week one, and um, he was very confident about beating me based on projected stats. Um, the little analytical loser. Um, just to be clear. Um, Patrick Queen is not going to get 20 points tonight, so I'll take that week one victory. Thank you very much.